0: Ray Brown's talking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. Um, yeah. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. i
2: run to on Birds. I love that show.
3: Good morning. And welcome to our show number 502, coming to you from the Shapiro Live Science Stage here at the Museum of Science in Boston. Our live audience will see an Eastern Screech Owl demonstration at the conclusion of our show today. And what with snowy owl reports causing a stir once again? We thought we'd do kind of an owl. ...oriented program this morning. And will be joined in that effort by Museum of Science Senior Education Associate Sue Stessel. And noted author and Mass Audubon Important Bird Areas Director Wayne Peterson. Today's special broadcast here from the museum is made possible by the award-winning Blackstones of Beacon Hill, 46 Charles Street, Boston... Now celebrating 32 years, we hope you'll visit them and their sister's stores, Kitchenwares by Blackstone's and Reflections, both on Newbury Street in Boston. Talking Birds also made possible in part by the American Bird Conservancy, the Western Hemisphere's bird conservation specialist. They use sound science to halt extinctions, protect habitats, eliminate threats, and build capacity for bird conservation. Thousands have joined their ranks as members. Go to abcbirds.org and find out why. We, you heard that little extra, extra thing there. We that was a, came on a little early. I think we should have it now. And three, two, one. Extra,
1: extra, extra, read all about it.
3: Here are some of the stories, pictures, and videos making a splash this week on our Talking Birds Facebook page. National Geographic's photo blog has some amazing birds of prey pictures on display. And we have a link to them. Think you know why birds are the color they are? Well, we can all learn more from Bob Duchesne in the Bangor, Maine Daily News. We'll link you to his column. Have you ever seen random objects act like birds? You will if you visit our page. And Bob Stremke, now age 91, tells the story of how he trained pigeons to send messages during World War II.
1: Extra, extra, read all about it.
3: Find those and more pictures, videos, and stories on our Talking Birds Facebook page this week. Quote of the week. The sad truth is that less than 2% of our oceans are fully protected. We need to change that now. That's a quote from an actor, and environmentalist, who has put his money where his mouth is, Leonardo DiCaprio in announcing that his foundation, which is focused on conservation and climate change issues, is donating $2 million to the Marine Conservation Group Oceans 5. Way to go, Leo. Well, in our latest Birds and Beans Coffee email contest, in which we're giving away a big bag of birds and beans, bird-friendly, shade-grown coffee every week through the end of the year, we offered this. Brown-headed cowbirds hatched from eggs laid in this songbird's nest cannot survive because the hatchlings are fed only seeds what is this seed eating and cowbird defeating songbird the answer was anybody in the studio audience goldfinch american goldfinch and the winner whose name was chosen at random among those in all end of uh, all entries received is mike timko from andover massachusetts congratulations mike this week's question on our owl-themed show today, what Greek goddess was associated with the owl? What Greek goddess was associated with the owl? Kim knows the answer to this one here. Send your answer via email to ray at Deadline for this week's contest is November 30th at midnight. Still to come on our show today, our man Mike O'Connor from Cape Cod's Bird Watchers General Store will answer a listener's question in today's Let's Ask Mike segment that we call... Avoiding the voids that could be hoiding your (laughs) boids. That sounds a little nonsensical, but it will all be clear when Mike gets here. We'll also present our weekly mystery bird contest and we'll award a fabulous feeder from Droll Yankees to the listener who can be first to identify that bird. And before we talk with our friends Sue and Wayne, Sue Stessel and Wayne Peterson, let's meet a member of the World of Owls, today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend. Today's featured feathered friend is known to eat earthworms, insects, crayfish, tadpoles, frogs, lizards, rats, mice, squirrels, moles, rabbits, bats, and birds, including flycatchers, swallows, thrushes, waxwings, finches, jays, grouse, doves, shortbirds, and woodpeckers, and sometimes even members of its own species. It's not a very large bird, under 10 inches long with a wingspan of less than two feet. But it's an agile hunter, active mostly at night, though sometimes at dawn or dusk or even in full daylight, often waiting in trees for victims to pass below before snatching them in its talons. Our bird utters a couple of chilling sounds, a trilling song to keep in touch with mates or family like this. a territory-defending whinny like this. It's the eastern screech owl, common east of the Rockies in woods, suburbs, and parks, nesting in tree cavities and in backyard nest boxes. Close relatives include the western screech owl, ...and the southwest-dwelling whiskered screech owl. The eastern screech owl is a short, stocky bird with a large head. Its wings are rounded, its tail is short and square... ...and its pointed ear tufts are often raised, adding to its distinctive silhouette. Eastern screech owls can be either mostly gray or mostly reddish-brown... ...with both color morphs, patterned with complex bands and spots... That make it almost invisible against the bark of a tree. Its many nicknames include ghost owl, wickering owl, mouse owl, little horned owl, cat owl, and shivering owl. And it's today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend, Megascops asio, the eastern screech owl. Thanks again for being with us. Our show number 502, live from the Museum of Science here in Boston. By the way, uh, Wayne Peterson, one of our guests today, does an excellent screech owl uh, impression, but I've just consulted with him, and he has declined to perform uh, today. (laughs) On the show. Maybe after the show, uh, he will do that. Well, Wayne, uh, in a mass bird forum uh, the other day, making reference to an airplane flight out of Logan International here in Boston, Paul Ippolito wrote, This morning while taxiing over to our runway, I had a snowy owl perched on one of the red indicator signs. My non-birding friend then found a second snowy as we got to our runway and were next in line for takeoff. Paul gave his pre-flight and post-flight locations as Woburn, and Costa Rica. So Wayne, I don't know if snowy owls will make it as far as Costa Rica this year or if we'll have a gigantic eruption as we did last year, but uh, reports like Paul indicate there are certainly some of these spectacular owls coming
0: south this year. What do we what do we know? Yes, there have been uh, reports already of several birds not just in Massachusetts but elsewhere in New England and as Ray suggested Last winter was an absolutely spectacular, almost epic eruption southward from the Arctic of snowy owls, so that we had snowy owls literally everywhere. Um, So it's not totally surprising that this year we may have what I'll describe as an echo flight. That is to say that because there were so many snowy owls last year, it's reasonable to think that we may have more than might be typical in any given winter this year, how many will remain to be seen. But the fact that they're already starting to show up and we've seen multiples, Uh, is suggestive that uh, we could be in for another nice snowy owl winter.
3: We were at an event event the other night with uh, Norman Smith, uh, who's famous uh, for Mass Audubon um, for trapping snowy owls at Logan Airport, uh, where they can, of course, be a hazard to airplanes and to themselves. And he releases them at places like Duxbury Beach and um, Plum Island. And he said that last year they trapped 176 snowy owls at logan airport give just an idea of the number of these birds and i think wayne at least one in bermuda uh, and maybe in the bahamas also last year so the the way they range was really amazing the other thing wayne about snowy owls people think of them as diurnal or daytime owls uh, but they're often feeding at dusk and at night
0: How how does that all work is they're not diurnal or nocturnal in a way Well, if you remember where snowy owls normally reside, most of the population, most of the year, it's in the Arctic. And accordingly, they are basically confronted with about half the year dark or darkish, and the other half is light or completely light. And accordingly, um, when they erupt south into areas like New England, for example, where we do have a fair amount of daylight as well as, you know, a lot of dark at this time of the year, uh, one gets the impression, oh, they're diurnal, they're daytime owls, and that's because where they live, they they sit around out in the open during the daytime, and people assume that that's kind of when they do their thing. Well, in fact, if you do what Norman Smith does or what, what you could do if you found one and were really to keep track of it, late in the day toward dusk, they they definitely become uh, considerably more animated in the evening and undoubtedly do a lot of their hunting at night Um, because they feed largely on rodents when they're in the Arctic, but when they're down here, they feed on all manner of of birds and waterfowl and so forth, which are essentially more active in the daytime. They do hunt in the daytime, but things like rats and and some of the other small mammals that they regularly um, like to eat are more active at night, and consequently they become quite a bit more active at night. So they're perfectly capable of doing both, and in their sort of Arctic environment, they basically, for much of the year, are, are active Basically, uh, all the time in the dark.
3: And other birds and other owls don't mess with the snowy owls, do they? We've, we've seen videos of uh, short-eared owls, for example, and peregrine falcons, I think, strafing snowy owls, and after they really got tired of it after a while, they would go after those birds and kill them and eat them. And uh, Norman Smith talked about them killing and eating great blue herons, huge birds uh, like that, pretty amazing. Well, another big owl. Wayne that people are fascinated about uh, are the great horned owls and here it is um, late November they're already occupying breeding territory right
0: yes great horned owls are, are spectacular birds um, they're probably the most um, feared predator of all of our regularly occurring birds in Massachusetts um, taking all manner of, of mammals of various sizes they're one of the few um, predators that regularly can take skunks and will eat them But they do, as Ray suggests, um, get actively uh, involved in courtship. This is a good time to hear great horned owls at dusk, even in the middle of the night or just before sunrise. And uh, oftentimes by January, they're they're beginning to lay their eggs. They don't build a nest. They use the nest of uh, other large predatory birds, for example, like red-tailed hawks. But they'll use an old osprey nest. They'll use great blue heron nests sometimes in these great blue heron colonies. If you go... You know, late winter and start looking around, there'll be a a horned owl on a nest right in the middle of of what would later in the season be a great blue heron area. But in any case, uh, very early on and and generally by sometime in late March, they have young that they're feeding and so on. So they're one of our earliest nesting birds.
3: Thanks, Wayne. Well, you may be able to hear people if you're listening on radio right now in the background here because we're right next to the exhibit, A Bird's World, here at the Museum of Science Boston. And we have with us Sue Stessel, who's a senior education associate here at the museum. And she's, she gets applause all the time. Thank she's, you, Ray. she's used to it. Tell us about A Bird's World, Sue.
1: Well, A Bird's World is an exhibit that evolved out of a much older exhibit here at the Museum of Science called the New England Bird Dictionary. Some of you may remember it. And um, it organized most of the species that are viewable in Massachusetts and New England, um, either as migrants or permanent residents, by alphabetical order. And people used it as a reference tool. Um, It needed redesign, and we wanted to expand what the theme was of that particular exhibit. We had a very talented exhibit planner named Maureen McConnell who came up with the idea of using sound and visuals to identify birds. Now the birds are grouped by habitats they're most commonly associated with and using the computer databases you can actually play the sounds including what we call the five basic calls of bird language which would be territorial call. Uh, An aggression call between two males of the same species. A begging call for the babies. And um, also the uh, alarm calls um, for birds to identify what's going on out in the world around you. So the idea is to take all that information, play around with some of the interactives in the exhibit to see how you might apply them in the real world, and then take them out into the real world and try it.
3: And the real world that's just demonstrated here is the Acadia National Park that you've made as a setting.
1: Yes, we used Acadia because most of the birds represented can be found there at various times of the year. So people can... Work in that setting in a virtual way, practice some of the skills for locating and getting close to birds in that setting, and then try it out in your own backyard
3: all right and tell us about the sneaking corridor
1: Uh, that's a lot of fun um one of the things that maureen wanted to get across was that uh animals uh, out in the wild can alert us to what's going on around us in an environment birds are particularly good at this because they're very finely tuned to their environment with their excellent vision and hearing so basically what you do in the sneaking corridor is you select a bird one which is considered hard and another that's easy. So the easy bird is a robin, American robin. The harder bird is a wood thrush. And the idea is to quietly pace up the corridor so that you don't startle either of those birds. Now, your reward is down at the end of the corridor, if you do not startle them, you will see on your left-hand side on a monitor, there's a white-tailed deer. Because in the wild, if a white-tailed deer heard an alarm call from either bird, it would be long gone. You would never know you missed a chance to see the deer. But if you're quiet and are stealthy in the environment and don't startle the birds that might alarm call, Mm -hmm. then you can get closer to other animals as well.
3: All right. Hear that, folks out there in a bird's world, quiet and stealthy. All right. Thank you so much, Sue. Coming up here from the Museum of Science in our live broadcast in our show number 502 is our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Public ferry service to the Boston Harbor Islands has ended for the season, but you can still visit the beautiful Boston Harbor Islands peninsulas open year-round, World's End in Hingham, Deer Island in Winthrop, Webb Memorial Park in Weymouth, and Nut Island in Quincy. They're connected to the mainland and accessible by car, offering stunning views of Boston Harbor and its islands, plus birding, hiking, biking, and cross-country skiing. Enjoy your national park all year long. For more information, please visit bostonharborislands.org. Here on Talking Birds Now, a message from our friends at Ducks Unlimited. Since
0: 1937, Ducks Unlimited has been a world leader in wetlands conservation, ensuring safe passage for nature's most beautiful creations, protection against flooding, and sanctuary for the human soul. If we don't want to grow old in a world without wild places, we must speak up, we must step up, so that we may fill the skies for generations to come
3: also made possible by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. That's birds.cornell.edu. So every week on our show, we present the Mystery Bird Contest in which we describe a bird, give some clues, and play the song or call of that bird and invite you to call in and tell us what that bird is. If you haven't been a winner here on Talking Birds in the past six months... You are eligible to win, and I hope you will call in as soon as possible because we pretty much always run out of time or come real close to it. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. 781-837-4900. Our prize today is the Droll Yankees New Generation Finch Flocker Feeder with all the great Droll Yankees attributes that make them the world's best bird feeders, uh, like stainless steel wire that squirrels can't chew. Sorry, squirrels, but I'm sure you can find something else on which to chew. So that's our prize. Um, Here's the sound of our mystery bird. I meant to say this is not a chihuahua or anything like that. (laughs) Our mystery bird is a medium-sized predator with mottled dark brown and light upper parts and dark streaked pale buff underparts its head features a large round pale buff facial disc with black around the eyes and small ear tufts its eyes are yellow and its bill is black in north america our bird breeds mostly in canada and alaska and winters throughout most of the u.s it prefers open spaces like grasslands and prairies and salt marshes it forages mostly at night capturing prey like voles and mice and rabbits and muskrats That's our mystery bird. What do you think it is? Tell us or take a guess because if no correct answer is received, a drawing will determine our winner. So take a chance. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. Meanwhile, avoiding the voids that may be hoiting you voids is the topic of our Let's Ask Mike segment. Let's ask Mike in just one minute. Here's an idea from your coffee-loving friends here at Talkin' Birds. Give a great gift this year. Give birds and beans coffee. If you're having friends and family in for the holidays or looking for something special to bring to the neighbors, how about great-tasting coffee? that's also great for the birds we love and the environment we all share. For $115, including shipping, you'll receive 12 bags of Birds and Beans coffee, the good coffee. You get two bags each of Wood Thrush Breakfast Roast and American Red Start Light Roast, three bags each of Scarlet Tanager French Roast and Chestnut Sided Warbler Medium Roast, plus two bags of Baltimore Oriole French Roast Decaf, ground and ready to brew, or whole bean if you prefer. Regular cost $160.55, so you save over $45 on Birds and Beans shade-grown, organic, fair-trade coffee. The offer is good until 9 a.m. Tuesday, December 16th. All orders will be shipped to arrive by Christmas Eve. Get your order going now at birdsandbeans.com. That's birdsandbeans.com. All right, Mike is ready to answer another question. Don't forget, send your question to Let's Ask Mike. The address is Ray at TalkingBirds.com. Mike answers the question... This one says, Dear Mike, I keep my black oil sunflower seed in a 10-gallon galvanized pail with a tightly baled cover to keep critters and varmints out. It's stored indoors, well-protected. I live in Marshfield and can't always get to the birdwatcher's general store for my seed. Boo. <laughs> I, I bought seed locally. Oh, that's a mistake. And this time it has developed cobwebs and an occasional small worm in the seed, causing the dreaded voids at the feeder ports well, there's nothing worse than a void at your feeder port <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I, I actually mm-hmm. know what you mean yeah she says this is frustrating my little winged friends and me is it poor quality seed or something else appreciate your help and love your store Thank you for loving the store. I appreciate that.
2: <laughs> uh, you know, I I want to blame the you know. <laughs> oh yeah, you, you bought the seed locally. It yeah. was bad seed, but it probably wasn't. It's just so, seed doesn't like to be stored inside. Mm-hmm. All, all the seed that we buy, it's not treated like our our own human food, but it's it's not even treated at all. So when mm-hmm. it comes from the field, it's got bugs in it. You know, it maybe yeah. not alive bugs, but there's there's uh, eggs. Mm-hmm. And if you keep it inside and it gets warm. And and you don't use it up in a period of time, then they'll they'll hatch. Yeah, and and that happens a lot, especially in the warmer months. Not so much when it's cold. But you know, I always tell people store the birdseed in the garage or a shed. You know, the idea of a galvanized can is fine; it's got some protection. But if you put it in in the house, even in the winter when it's seventy degrees, you'll get full of bugs. We I've gotten them. Everybody gets them because Mm. that's the environment that they live in, and they won't go dormant that they will when it's cold. So if you can keep them cold, you'll be fine. But um, that's more of a, an issue of storing it, not so much where you bought it, because mm-hmm. any any seed will have that when you buy it. And it's not that the container is tight doesn't help it because the seed is already in there. Yeah. And if it's not used up right away and it's, and it's allowed to get warm, even room temperature, then over a period of time they'll hatch and then they, mm-hmm. those little mealworms. The, the little lobby will work around and gets webby, and that and the seed gets clumpy, and that's why you have the voids that we talked about. Yeah. But that'll clump up and not to let the seed flow right.
3: So try to keep it cool, but somewhat inevitable to, to some extent. Yeah, anyway, it, yeah. keep it cool, man. Yeah. That's, well, that's keep, my keep be cool. All right, and of course, you know, get your seed at uh, Birdwatcher's General Store. <laughs> that's that's that the key. Right. Never happen. <laughs> All right, Mike. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, man. We'll see you then. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Send your question in to Mike, and uh, you'll get a copy of his latest book as a thank you gift, a signed copy of his book, Why Do Bluebirds Hate Me? That's Mike's uh, latest book. That's her thank you gift. Just send your question to Ray at TalkingBirds.com. Mike is a great birder and attracts lots of birds to his yard, but can't get bluebirds to come to his yard, just doesn't have the right spot there, and uh, can't get hummingbirds, and that's why he has a store, I guess, so he can have a, all that stuff going on right there where it is. Hey, we're back here at the Mystery Bird Contest, and we're trying to feed our calls back through uh, the studio here to our location at the Museum of Science and uh, trying to identify this bird. If we can hear that bird again, Tim. medium-sized predator with mottled dark brown and light upper parts and dark streaked, pale buff underparts. Its head features a large round pale buff facial disc with black around the eyes and small ear tufts. Its eyes are yellow and its bill is black, sometimes confused with chihuahuas. Puppies. <laughs> Not really, but... Okay, seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred is the number. Our new generation Finch flocker feeder from Droll Yankees is our prize, and we're going to go to I think Terry in Clinton Township, which is uh, I should know where that is. It's in a different state than Massachusetts, but I think we're about to find out. Are you there, Terry? I'm here. Good. Welcome to welcome to the show. Welcome to the Museum of Science, Boston. How about a round of applause for Terry from everybody here? Thanks for calling in. You're our first caller ever here at the Museum of Science, Terry. Well, where wow. is Clinton? <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> he sounds pretty thrilled. Uh, so, where is, where, where is Clinton Township? Clinton, Clinton Township is in Michigan. It's a little bit north of Detroit. Just north of Detroit. Well, welcome and thanks for calling in. And you heard our clues and such. Uh, Terry, what do you say our mystery bird is?
2: I think it's a short-eared
3: owl. Every, let's see if uh, let's see if our experts here agree. Sue, would you agree with that?
1: Possibly.
3: Oh, oh okay. Uh, we, we may may not be sending you any feeders at all. What do you say, Wayne? I would say definitely. Okay. All right. I think we're okay then. <laughs> You've got it, Terry. Congratulations. Thank you for calling in. How do you do? tell us a little bit about your birding up there in Clinton Township?
2: Oh well, um, I'm, I'm actually a, a casual birder, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I do get out and I do help a little bit with uh, with uh, a person that bird bands at one of the metro parks near here. So uh, um, it's something I enjoy, and my family my family puts up with it. All
3: right. <laughs> All right, good for them. All right, Terry, thank you. Stay on the line. We'll get your address and send you that drill Yankees feeder. Thank you very much. All right. Terry in Clinton Township correctly identifying the short-eared owl. Something I read about on the Cornell website here about the fact that the short-eared owl is kind of strange. Is one of the few species that seems to have benefited from strip mining, uh, nesting on reclaimed and replanted mines
0: south of its uh,
3: normal breeding range. What do you think about that, Wayne?
0: I think that's interesting because here in Massachusetts, short-eared owl is now on our state list of endangered species listed at the endangered level. And almost all, if any, remaining shorted owls that nest in the state nest on the island of Tuckernockoff, Nantucket. That's where they are as breeders. In the winter, they're more more common and more frequent in appropriate habitat. Give us a real quick overview of other owls we could see in New England in the wintertime, Wayne, just by name maybe. Well, certainly the barred owl is one that you might very well encounter in the heavily wooded areas, um, not just in central and western Massachusetts, but even in the suburbs here. Uh, the little northern sawed owl is another species. The very elusive long-eared owl, which is uh, somewhat similar to the shorted owl that you just heard about, but much harder to see and much less common, would be another species. The great-horned owl was already mentioned, snowy owl. So that we've got a lot of different owls. All right. Uh, Sue, so give us a quick... Plug for Birds World before we run out of time.
1: Well, if you've ever been frustrated identifying a bird near you, either by its sight or sound, a good place to come is to the Birds World exhibit because you can use our bird dictionary to identify them and also learn how to get closer to them in the wild.
3: All right. Sounds like a good plan. We are out of time for our show. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone next week. Remembering Remembrance Day and all the birds that have disappeared from the earth. Thank you so much to Sue Stessel from the museum here and to Wayne Peterson from Mass Audubon. Thank you very much. Thanks to all of our audience here at the museum and we'll see you next week.
0: Ray Brown. Talkin' Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information.
3: I'm
2: talking Birds. I love that show.